Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pearls of Wellness, brought to you by the Center for African American Health. I'm your host, Deidre Johnson. In this episode, we'll discuss healthy eating and movement and how to keep ourselves as healthy as possible. My special guest, Tyrone Beverly, will do a deep dive into the partnership between eating and movement. I'm so excited for this discussion. I know you're going to enjoy it. Today, I want to welcome Tyrone Beverly. Tyrone, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. You know, I'm, I don't remember when we first met, but it feels like we've known each other for a while. And not only are you a community leader, but a wonderful partner to the work that we do to support health in the Black community. And so could you um, just introduce yourself and the work that you do? Uh, simply put, I think uh, I look at myself as a facilitator of humanity, harmony, and it's it's been an honor knowing you. And I'm trying to think back when we first met as well. And I just know that you've always been so supportive and just always loved and appreciated the work that you do. And when I talk about a facilitator of harmony and 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 just looking at the work that you've been able to do with so many different people, it's like when it's it, you make it really easy to collaborate. You make it easy to be able to plug into important work. And I just really like to be a part of the work that's creating the change from our own uh, our own hands, <laughs> for a lack of a better term. And uh, started a nonprofit, I'm Unique. And the mission of I'm Unique is to create a culture of health, individual growth, and social change. And we facilitate different wellness programs throughout the state. We've been invited across the world and just really trying to contribute in places and areas that I can. And that's who I am. How did you get started in this path of promoting wellness? That's a really good question. And it's a really challenging question for me to answer because I don't have just one definitive answer. I think it, it was a culmination of many things over the years, just growing up in an environment that people were constantly intoxicated, arguing, people losing their lives over what was preventable, you know, heart issues and diabetes and many different things in the community that was, was plaguing us for so many years. Just witnessing that as a as, as a young child, as I grew older, I was like, you know, are these things that are inevitable or are these things that we can prevent? And over time, I found out that, yes, we can prevent these things. But being in that environment, we've been exposed to a very limited way to navigate in a healthy way. And being in an environment that's exposed, you know, we had gangs, we had drugs, we had things that were very toxic to human life. And that's pretty much what we were exposed to in my environment growing up. And that always just made me question life. And is this all that life has to offer? So I asked a lot of questions growing up. And those questions began to get answered as I as I paid attention to the world around me. And I, as I got older, answering those questions, I began to just pay attention and try to figure out how can I escape these environments within still being in that environment and growing up watching like movies like martial artist movies where people are meditating and, and seeming though that they can escape where they are, their mind allows them to go somewhere else. I used to emulate seeing people meditate and it actually worked for me as well. And mentally I was able to, to transcend some of the conditions that I was living in. 
you know, just seeing the violence early on, seeing my first dead body at, at five years old, a man got killed mm. right outside of my bedroom window. And mm. those become the the seeds that get planted in, 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 in people. And this becomes your expectation for what the world has to offer. And through the years, I had to do a lot of reconditioning and retraining and reeducating to to prevent those things from happening along the way. So it wasn't just like, you know, not healthy eating, but just the environment, how we respond and how we show up in this world. And meditation from what I've seen on the screens and being able to duplicate some of those things have always been seeds in me that have been watered through the years. And as I got older, I was interested in martial arts and I was looking for a teacher and I never was able to find one. So I was looking for, uh, I found myself at Blockbuster looking for Bruce Lee conditioning tape. And it wasn't more so for the Kung Fu aspects or for the fighting aspects, but it was more around mental development and what was humanly possible. And I think the martial artists really demonstrated that by self-control. And I think that's what we lacked in our communities was self-control, really the taming of the mind. And I didn't find one, but the person who was working there said, hey, I don't have any Bruce Lee conditioning videos, but I do have this yoga video if you're interested. And the only point of reference that I had around what yoga was, was from a video game by the name of Street Fighter. And there was a character on there who used to say like, yoga fire, yoga flame. And that was my only <laughs> reference to what yoga was. And lo and behold, I went ahead and bought it, took it home. I started practicing. Now, mind you, I had a background in sports. I played football, basketball growing up. And when I got home, I put that video in and I started to practice and I was shaking and I was sweating and it was an hour and a half and I couldn't even finish it. And at that point, you know, there's a part where you, you lie down and you have to go inward. I began to fall in love with the practice and I started practicing every single day. And at the time I was working at a health club and when I was practicing on my breaks, some people notice and they say, hey, do you mind if I join you? And I'm like, hey, I got these videos at the house. I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know what I'm doing. And they're like, all right, well, if you don't mind, I would love to join you because to me, it looks like you know what you're doing and you're taking this pretty serious. So, you know, it was like one person and it was two people and it was three people and it was four. And people just kept joining in every time I would take a break of a practice and people seemed to to enjoy it and they started inviting people and then the manager came to me and says you have a following and you don't really have a class you should think about getting trained certified in this practice and we'll give you your own class and that was the that was the the beginning of my journey of teaching yoga and having conversations around like what we can do and how people can plug into this this practice and that was that's kind of how I got started Thank you for sharing that. You know, I think it was, it was last year, um, you shared a video of your son meditating. And not only was that adorable, but I thought, wow, how fortunate because he's learning at this young age, these tools that will really help him on his journey. When you think about, um, you mentioned you were working out and people would kind of come and just join you. If someone's curious about adopting a lifestyle change or getting into yoga, what are some things they can kind of do to start moving? Um, I think it's important to know 
it's important to know what you want to accomplish. It's important to know yourself. Whether it's yoga, whether it's Tai Chi or martial arts or any kind of modality that is going to increase your overall well-being, I think knowing what you value and why you value is one of the most important instrumental tools in cultivating like a sound mind, a sound body, and really getting on that path because like what you value will help the process. It'll help you make decisions and it's almost always going to influence your behavior. So some of the things that you can do is, is you can do your research and, and, and ask yourself what you value and what it is that you want to accomplish. So if you're looking to increase your flexibility, then yeah, yoga may be for you. If you're looking to increase your discipline and have a system that can help you along the way, yoga itself has a huge system and it has a lot of information that you can align with to improve your overall health. And one is we know that when you're stretching, this increases your, your, your flexibility increases the oxygen in the blood flow, it, 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 it helps you get rid of the waste that accumulates. And it's so beneficial in that regard. And then there's breathing techniques that can reduce the stress that you have. Um, it can it can revamp your nervous system and, and, and really help center your body overall. And there's so many different things within that system to align with your lived experience. And that's something that you can do. You can go to a yoga studio. You can go to the local gym. You can get online and now that we have you know youtube you can get on there and learn a lot of information about that as well when i first got started there was no youtube there was no dvds it was straight up vhs <laughs> old school style and that's kind of uh, where things started for me but now we have so much technology that can aid us along the way that's one way to get started but for me i would say evaluate where you are mentally physically and emotionally spiritually and, and say, okay, what is it that you want to achieve? Is it that you're looking for weight loss? Is your, Are you looking for more strength? There's just so many different things that people may be interested in. And knowing what it is that you want to get out of a practice will help guide you and lead you to where you need to take it. Um, but for me, when you think about health and wellness, the most important part or one of the most important things for me, my philosophy is adding and subtracting. So you add the things that heal you and you subtract the things that don't. You add the foods that may be more beneficial for your cellular disposition and you reduce the things that take away from your cellular function. So if you're adding things in your body where you know it's high in sugar, you're adding in cigarettes. And sometimes it's not really about, you know, oh, this person needs to <laughs> have this information around like not smoking because they don't know if that's healthier. I would assume that the majority of people hear certain things are bad for them and yet they still do them. So sometimes it's like we know the answers, but are we going to do the work that's necessary? So when we talk about adding and subtracting, okay, let's really evaluate where we want, where we want to go, what we want to achieve. And I think that's the foundation of creating a healthier lifestyle. I think it was a uh, Hippocrates who had said something around before you heal someone, first ask them if they're willing to let go of everything that made them sick. That's not a direct quote, but it's something along those lines. And I think that's a really important quote to, to, to ask yourself. Are you willing to let the things go that make you sick? I like that. And then you said earlier, what you value will help the process. And I feel like, I actually, I didn't, don't feel like I know that one of the challenges many people have is first valuing themselves mm. because it's until you do that, it's hard to move forward. 
So it's kind of part of that reconditioning of the mind that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it's so, it's so complex. It's so deep when you think about it in terms of reconditioning of the mind. So sometimes you may not even know you need to be reconditioned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes you may think you have it all figured out and, and the more exposure that you have, you begin to awaken. And I think that's where a lot of us lack is the exposure because exposure is the impetus to light the flame to give you new ideas and new wonders and new possibilities. And if you're never exposed to new ways of healing yourself, if there's only one way that you think things are done, then it's going to be very limited in your approach to life overall. So the more that we're exposed to information and sometimes it's ancient information that's been around for a long time, but purposefully it's been hidden from us. And we have to go back and retrieve this information and make it relevant to the times. So, yeah, I think that's one of the most important things that we can do as well is being exposed to new ways and new and, 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 and recondition and retrain ourselves. But that's a process that everyone's not willing to take. And the other beautiful thing about it is You know, so many people talk about prevention. Um, They let go of the fact that your ability to be preventative really depends upon the context of Mm -hmm. the resources, at least in America, the resources you have, what you have access to. And so the more, I believe, the more open we can be to those different modalities, the more preventive tools we have. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I agree 100%. So you mentioned earlier about adding and subtracting. Can you talk a little bit about kind of how we process nutrients and gut health? Even before you talk about gut health, you talk about um, waking up in the morning. One of the most important things that you can do is drinking warm water. Why? Because the research shows that this boosts our metabolism, but it's also a form of cleansing. We talk about breakfast is, you know, We all know that that's breaking our fast. When we sleep, our body is fasting. It's breaking down those nutrients. That's necessary. Our microbiome is activated. And this is the thing that's keeping us well. And when we think about the intake of our water and boosting our metabolism, these are the things that can optimize our overall health and help us lose weight in that regard. And then when we start eating, sometimes we eat too fast. And this this creates a, a myriad of problems and complications because we don't even know how to chew our food before we even put the food in our mouth off saliva but we begin to salivate we begin to you know the digestive process already kicks in and, and when you're eating really fast this begins to interrupt some of the processes that are need to increase your overall well-being so now just taking your time when you're eating slow it down and that's going to support your digestive system and that's going to make your function the body function a lot better and sometimes it's just the really basic things that get missed over time because no one has ever talked to us about that. And we know the importance of the gut health because we know that that's our second brain. There's there's many different things in our gut that, you know, we have more in our in our gut than we do in our brain. And, and we have to nurture and we have to care for it. And we're not just talking about eat the yogurts and, and do these things. There's a variety of different things that we can do. And I, I always start off with the basics, keeping it simple so people can retain the information and apply it on a daily basis where it doesn't have to be so complicated to be able to 
take on some of these practices. And once you create a system, a daily practice, that is how you can increase your overall well-being within the gut, within the body. And it's a reflection of everything that you do every single day. But starting with the basics on how you start eating, how you start drinking before the day you know, goes on, you, you're starting right when you wake up. And that is already going to set the trajectory of creating a better process and a better system. If we look at systems, we have to break down the the human body. We have a digestive system. We got a reproductive system. We got a cardiovascular system. We have a skeletal system. We have all these systems that must work in harmony for our body to be at its highest function. In the moment, one of those systems are are not functioning at its highest level. It affects the whole. So if we look at ourselves as a whole, we have to say, okay, these systems must function and they must be congruent with one another. And that's where wellness lives. That's where harmony lives. And the moment one of those systems are interrupted, now we are in conflict with ourselves and our entire body works like that. So we have to align our lives with systems that work for us. When we talk about our circadian rhythm, the rhythm when you're going to use the restroom every day, when you want to go to sleep and you have these patterns that you create. And sometimes in ancient times, you would align it with the moon. You would see the phases of the moon and you would know like more women are more acclimated to this due to their monthly cycle. But we can follow the cycles of the moon, our circadian rhythm, and we can really create a system for well-being. But that takes effort. But sometimes if you create such a system, it becomes seamless because you can integrate it to your daily life. And those are the things I think are really important is creating a system to increase your overall well-being. And you do these things to where you can simplify it all by having a design system to this is the way you eat. This is the way you use the restroom. This is the way that you go to sleep. You have a sleep routine. Sometimes people can't sleep and they have the TV on and they do all these things before they go to sleep and their, their bodies are restless. And they're like, why am I restless? I can't go to sleep. I'm frustrated. And sometimes we just need to turn off our devices and have 30 minutes before we even go to sleep to just let our bodies calm down. And then when we lie down in our beds, we begin to go to sleep. We're not doing a lot of activities in our bed because our body now is being trained. Okay, I can sit up in my bed and I can do all these things. And now I'm not going to sleep. I'm becoming restless because I haven't created a relationship with the bed as this is for sleeping. So it's really just evaluating what we do with our time, how we do it, and what kind of systems that we created within our lives that governs our lives on a daily basis. The other interesting thing about these systems or the, the thing we know is that they're all created, you know, for, I would have told you for the past three years that I had problems going to sleep. So I would try melatonin and other things. And then I just joined a group and it's like a 16 week process, three weeks in, um, I've lost about 15 pounds, but more importantly, I'm exercising at least six days a week. And not only am I feeling so much better, but I'm sleeping like a baby. <laughs> mm. That's a powerful testimony. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, um, I say that to say that so many things are, it's a domino effect, but also, you know, as, as smart as you think you are, as much as you've got things together and you can multitask, sometimes we just need help. So there are systems out there that we don't have to create to help us figure out. And you might try one, it may not work, so try another. I agree 100%. And 
I think uh, this is a quote from Dr. Sebi, and he says, the body wasn't designed to be sick. Mm. <laughs> so what does that mean? The body wasn't designed to be sick. And why are so many, in that case, why are so many people sick? <laughs> so many. It's because we don't have these systems in place to keep us well. A lot of the systems that we have in place do the opposite. The way that we design our work habits, the way that we design our food preparation, the way that we, so everything that governs us is the things that make us sick. We overworked, underpaid, undervalued, and we're not getting enough rest. And a lot of that has to be changed because this wasn't our original state. And I think that's important to remember when we're doing this work. And where things get twisted is we live in systems that are producing what was designed. Yet when we're looking at how to improve things, folks blame the people trapped in the system for what the outcome is. And I am, um, I was giving a friend an analogy one day. It's almost as if black children are raised with hope while white children are raised with expectation. Mm. And whatever we do in life, we need to be about the business of turning hope into expectation for black children. And, you know, there's so many places we look around and there's so many broken systems and it's almost as if, you know, you give a child a broken toy, but not only do you expect them to reassemble it, it might be missing a few pieces and you blame them because they can't put it together by themselves. Mm. And that's, um, I've started using that as analogy just to get people to think about, wait a minute, we know these systems are broken, yet we're expecting the beneficiary of this system to fix it when they didn't create it. And when I, think about this discussion, it just reminds me, you know, when people talk about prevention, you know, yeah, it'd be, it'd be great if anybody could walk down the block and get fresh food. But there's so much, um, there's a term we hear very often called food deserts. And I remember I was at a meeting in Chicago and a professor mentioned to me, you know what, um, it's really food apartheid because it's deliberate. When you say desert, it makes it seem like, oh, it's just naturally occurring. There's just nothing here. No, very deliberately, nothing was placed there. And so I think if we can start framing things and reminding community that, yes, we're in this, but we're not of this. That was that was a lot to unpack there. <laughs> <laughs> I love what your father had to say and, and that expectation piece is, is, is huge. And that kind of leads me to think about the biggest war that I think in the world, the biggest war in the world is the war on identity. Mm -hmm. And when you either the identity that you have that you're born with or the identity that you give yourself. And sometimes we're living this life and we talk about food deserts and food apartheid and not having access to certain things, but sometimes it's our identity that keeps us from consuming things that may be good for us because mm -hmm. we associate this is like for white people. This is for this group of people. I remember when I first became a vegetarian years and years and years ago, that conversation came up quite often. Like what, how do you, what, that's not how we eat. You know, this is soul food. This is how we're supposed <laughs> to eat. This is how we're supposed to survive. You know, this is our culture. This is our tradition not realizing the, the the historical implications of where that was derived from, like where that came from and how some of these, how these, these, these eating patterns were, were created. And I think now 
more people are waking up to it. But I think a lot of it has to align with identity. So how you see yourself, and you said it earlier, how you value yourself. But if you have an expectation of this is what you're supposed to do because of your identity, that's exactly what you're going to do. So I think it's it's really important to keep a broad perspective around what your identity is and not put limitations on yourself. Sometimes people will talk about this idea around code switching. Like, oh, you might eat this around these people. You might do this. You might say this. You might say these things. But really, it's like a limitation on identity because a person shouldn't be limited to just one form of expression. And that's what's happened to so many people. This child is a black child in this community, but they actually like snowboarding. This child likes to do certain things that's associated with a particular group of people. And that is limiting when the expectation for black people is this is what you're supposed to do and this is what your lane is. So mm -hmm. I think that is also a part of health and wellness. When you can't fully and freely express yourself, you're going to suppress all of the the, the life within you. And, and that can consume and that can kill the life that you never had. It can kill the joy. It can kill the, the aspirations and everything that you want to become. So I think like what you said, it's, it's really important to not put those barriers and limitations on us. Especially because system, systems rely on us thinking, oh, it's too, it's too hard to change. Historically, when you go back to like, say, say ancient Egypt, and you have this structure, which is classified, they call it the, <laughs> they call it the Sphinx. And not realizing its origins, not realizing what the name means, it's a very derogatory term. And then we realize that the the Kemites, the, the original people of that land had a different name for it, Haru Imonkep. And when you when you're named as something, you know, this creates your behavior, this creates the way that you show up, this is the way that the world receives you. And if we look at that structure, it's really important because it's the it's the head of a human with the body of an animal, a lion. And what we see is it's it's calm and it's tamed. So the mind is able to tame the body. And when we look at our lives, we have to take on those attributes. So can we tame our minds to tame our bodies? Because as we grow older, there's a there's a really powerful quote that we're born looking like our mothers and our fathers but we die looking like our lifestyles. And if we're not taming ourselves, then our lives can get, so they can go in so many different directions. Our, our behavior can take us in ways, in places that we don't want to go because we weren't willing to tame that animal within us. So we have to really be, be focused on the direction that we're going in so we're not dying in a way that is not pleasing to in, to our to our legacy. And I think those are things to remember when we're living this life and doing this work. Like, can I tame my tongue? Can I tame my time? Can I tame the things that are pulling me in directions that aren't healthy for me or those around me? And if I've been in this way for so long, can I make these necessary changes to prevent anything else that's coming our way? And, and that's the work that needs to be done. So we begin to go back to get this information and then we apply this to our own lives and we begin to, to advance and supersede all the expectations and limitations that people put on us.
Sankofa. Sankofa, exactly. Retrieve. That's <laughs> exactly <laughs> what it is. So that being said, is is it ever too late? Um, I think it's 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 person by person. If you think it's too late, it's too late. If you don't think it's too late, it's mm-hmm. not. <laughs> and and I think that's where we have to go. Like that's why I say what you value, what is it that you want to leave here? What is your legacy? What is it that you want to do? Do you want to be healthier? Some people can care less about being healthy. And it's so subjective. It's so limiting. Like, what does it mean to be healthy? For me, I would say to be in harmony with yourself and the world around you. Like, if you are in that state, I think life will be a lot easier for you. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be more balanced, and you won't have some of the unnecessary challenges that come with not being well. But some people like the chaos, and they enjoy it, and they may be aligning with their life purpose. So I don't sit here and say that everybody has to do this. Everybody has to become a vegan. Everybody has to become a vegetarian. Then we run out of resources. But sometimes everyone is not supposed to be doing the same thing. But those that are on this particular path, these are some of the tools that can help along the way. And if that person is you, then adhere to some of these lessons that have been given to us years and years and years ago. That's a wonderful reminder. I know some folks that, you know, love the chaos. <laughs> but I think what you said is so important. If it is a change that you want, it's really up to you to get out of your own way and start seeking that change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's what a lot and sometimes it's is is direct and sometimes it's indirect. When we go back historically, I think one of the most important stories in American history. In all of American history, I think has been <laughs> it's been uh, given to us in a way to keep us uninformed and and not moving in a direction that can liberate us from a lot of these oppressive systems that have been governing us for so long. And that story is about Uncle Tom. And when you look at the the the, the book Harriet Beecher Stowe, uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin. If we really dive into that book, we find out that Uncle Tom was actually the hero. (laughs) He's the reason why two women who were enslaved escaped to freedom. He sacrificed his own life for them. They ran out to the swamp and they ran back in the attic and he knew where they were. And as the slave master was asking where they were, he, he did not give up their location. And in turn, he was killed for that. And then you look at the story that the person was actually written after uh, is his name is Josiah Henson. This is a real person. Oh, lo and behold, Josiah Henson is the inspiration for Uncle Tom. <laughs> so when we start breaking down this story, we find out that Josiah Henson was enslaved in Maryland. Josiah Henson made some agreements with his slave master to uh, buy his own freedom. The slave master did not, the slave master, let me say, he did not honor his agreements the agreement was Josiah Henson was going to save up enough money to buy his freedom, his family's freedom, and try to do it the right way. And lo and behold, he began to raise all this money. And then he found out that Isaac Riley was not going to do his part. So then he had to escape with his children. He ran all the way to 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 Canada and he created this settlement. And before we see um, Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass, and a lot of the notable names today, we had Josiah Henson. And Josiah Henson 
you know, older than 40 and 50, going back to retrieve people and, and, and break them out of bondage and bring them into to Canada, where he created this settlement, he got them jobs, educations, and he's having commerce, and he's, he's doing some really beautiful, important work. And then this book comes out, Harriet Beecher Stowe's book comes out, and then it's so popular. It's the it's the second most printed book next to the Bible. It's 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 on the printing press nonstop, twenty four hours a day, being circulated all across the world. But mind you, in this time, everyone couldn't read, so it was a really mm-hmm. popular book, but everyone couldn't read. So now the copyright laws were a little different, and now the people who don't like this narrative around slavery and abolishing slavery, they begin to use that story about uncle tom and they turn it around and they do these plays and these plays began to create the image that we know of uncle tom today that he was against his people he was selling out his people and Mm. and that story we're talking about over a hundred years plus is still living today people don't know the uh, the origins of that story where it came from they were miseducated on purpose and I, and I classify that as one of the most important stories because of it was the foundation to a lot of the things that we are able to to experience today. When we talk about some of the wars that were started, you know, Abraham Lincoln came to uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe and said, you're the little lady who started this war talking about, you know, trying to abolish slavery. So it had such an important role in in the work that's being done and the work that was done. And it's still relevant today because we're still being misinformed on purpose on our heroes and sheroes and the things that people have done long before we got here. And then there's these expectations and there's identity and they controlled the narrative for over a hundred years and they mm-hmm. misinformed and miseducated us on purpose. And now we have to apply that to our lives today. And we have to ask ourselves real questions. <laughs> Is this our truth? Is this beneficial for us? And we have to really highlight our heroes in a way, because right now, most people, the majority of people think Uncle Uncle Tom was a sellout. Most people don't even know who Josiah Henson was, not even knowing he was the inspiration for Uncle Tom. But we have to retrieve those stories and we have to continue to keep telling those stories and hold on to the things that we value because we can't always listen to the stories that they tell us knowing that they don't value our lives in the first place. And that's, what's so fascinating is folks will cling to misinformation, not keeping in the context of who's been controlling the story, who created the story. I didn't know that about Josiah Henson. Thank you. One of the things you mentioned earlier was about meditation and taming the mind. I, um, I try to meditate, but my mind just is, keeps itself busy. What would you suggest for those of us that we know where we want to get to, but how do we, and I know folks have said, well, you, your mind's never going to be like completely free of thought because you're alive, but what are ways to kind of help yourself in that practice? That's a really good question. That's a really important question. I'm glad you asked it. We have to define meditation. <laughs> For mm. me, the way I define meditation is simply the direction that you aim your mind. Okay. Right? You give your mind a direction and you put your energy into where you're aiming your mind. So sometimes I find it to be a lot more doable 
to just focus on your breathing and relaxing your shoulders and relaxing your face. And then you focus on your inhalation and your exhalation. And don't look at it from the terms of being entertained. So sometimes it's challenging because we're looking for entertainment. We're not looking for relief. So if you focus on breathing, and what I mean by entertainment, sometimes we're looking for something really special to happen because we're so mm-hmm. used to and wired to be like, oh, this TV, this is what's going on. And you start making the visualization of the things that you may have seen on TV and the things that you think are supposed to happen. <laughs> but when you're in your body, the things that may happen are your shoulders actually begin to soften a little more, your face relax a little more, you're taking deeper breaths and it's starting to really work its magic just by breathing. But another thing that I would also suggest when we talk about meditation is it doesn't have to necessarily be you sitting in, you know, cross-legged position. It could be you walking. It can be you just being silent. It can be a variety of different things and different positions that you can do to achieve the same desired outcomes. But one thing that I also add in with some of my experiences is tea, the preparation of tea. So sometimes the doing you can meditate while you're doing something and you might find it to be a lot better. So sometimes we can utilize, you know, tea ceremonies. You find this in, in Japan, you find this in China, but you also find this in Africa. And historically you had African-Americans having tea houses because while they were enslaved, they were actually the tea conductors. They were performing these ceremonies for slave masters and their friends. And many people aren't aware of that. So you can look across uh, the Southern Belt, you would see different African-Americans conducting different tea experiences. And then after they were free, they began to still take on a lot of those, um, those, those, the, the ways of the tea within those spaces. So it was a way to heal. It was a way to relax. It was a way to restore, rejuvenate, replenish. And this is something that we can still take on today. The way that you prepare, and I'm talking specifically around loose leaf tea. The way Mm -hmm. you prepare loose leaf tea would be a lot different from a tea bag in the time and the effort and the attention that you put into every movement. And you think about that with the reflection of your life. You're not making you're not wasting any energy by unnecessary movements when you're preparing your tea. You can prepare your tea in a really quiet place. And then those teas have healing benefits as well. It can fight the free radicals in your system. The oxidation, you know, the the oxidation process in the tea gives you different qualities of tea that begin to perform different killing in your body. So being more knowledgeable about the, the teas and applying the tea, but also the tea ceremony in a more meditative sense can also benefit you along the way. So that's something that I would suggest around meditation, but also just thinking what direction am I aiming my mind? If your mind is all over the place, I would say switch it up, make some adjustments and maybe you need a different strategy and don't always think that you have to do what you may have seen someone else and have those same um, expectations. You can do certain things that you might find more conducive for your personal practice. Oh, that's really helpful. And that's interesting with regarding the tea ceremony because you know, in passing, you would just think, oh, this is about tea. This is about the consumption of tea when that's almost, that's the last thing it's about. Yeah, absolutely. Self-control, being able to, there's so many different things that are associated with it. Are there other examples like that? And I just think in terms of 
you know, on the one hand, because of how we've been wired, you think it's one thing, but really if you slow down, it has a much deeper opportunity. And are you talking about in terms of like meditation? Yes. Yeah. I think writing, writing down your thoughts, journaling, I think that's why so many people, I don't know how it is now. I remember growing up and just people having journals and being able to get it out. Sometimes it's just this internal dialogue that you want to get out. And maybe you're not sharing this information with anyone else. You're just sharing it with yourself and being able to get some of your thoughts on page, putting pen to paper is going to be helpful for you or having some of these conversations. But if it's something that you're doing on your own, I think that is a very healing practice and it can be a very meditative practice to get those thoughts out on a page. And over time, you'll just see your mental development as you go back and read what you have archived along the way. That's something walking is always something I think is really important and getting away from your devices. We all know that. Well, I don't say we all know, but it's, it's becoming more um, common for people to know around negative ions versus positive ions we know that positive ions are actually not good for us. And that's what our electrical devices have. They have this, this charge that can create some problems in our bodies. Whereas the latter, when we see the, the, the negative ions, that's more associated with nature. It's more associated with flowing water, being out in forests and in, in places that are natural. That's going to be more healing for us. So those are the places that we want to go is when we're going outside to get those negative ions, it goes into your bloodstream and it, it, it increases the serotonin. And those are the kind of things that we want. And that, again, that's what goes with meditation. So if you want to just go for a walk, these are some health benefits that you can get from being out in nature and specifically the time of day early in the morning. So sometimes we might do these things after work and it's not going to be as beneficial because you have more pollution after that five o'clock hour, four o'clock hour when everyone three o'clock hour when all the schools let out and all the buses are letting all the pollution out, all the cars are driving. It's just more pollution outside in general, but early in the morning you have less. So that's why you'll find some people going outside early in the morning to receive some of that. And the way the sun hits you is a lot different as well. So the radiation is a lot different when you're walking out when the sun is just rising, as opposed to when the sun is setting. It's just, it's just, it's just a lot different because it's, it's more toxic when it's in the later hours, your four o'clock, your five o'clocks, and it's a lot fresher to breathe in when you're up early. And we go back to ancient Egypt again, you'll see a lot of the, the metanetta, a lot of hieroglyphics, you'll see that the people are rising with the sun. In the yoga practice, you have a sun salutation. You're meeting and greeting the sun. And depending on your work schedule, sometimes you may not have the opportunity to do certain things. So it's kind of hard and it's challenging, but that's why it's important to you to design the life that you want and the times that you want to wake up and 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 be able to to become the the facilitator of your own life and not just saying that somebody gave you a job. So you're going to show up when they tell you to show up. You can decide that this may be the life direction. This might be the direction for my life. And Talk to your employer and just say, can I come at this time? Because these are the things I'm working on. I'm trying to improve my health. And I know this is one of those things that can do that. So that's another thing that I would suggest. So I just had an aha moment, which is when I thought about mindfulness and meditation, I had some image in my head because given how you've defined it, 
I've been meditating all my life. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so that's helpful. I'm going to give my give myself some credit in that area. <laughs> Absolutely. Before I do the closing, was there anything else you wanted to add? Yeah, one one person, well, there's a couple of different experiences that I had, but there was one person who really who really highlighted this for me in a way that I think is really important. And that person was Jimmy a Spirit. Jimmy a Spirit is a musician and he he played the drums with like Coltrane and had a lot of relationships in the industry with many different people. Then he he took this health path as well. He talks about Alice Coltrane, who was the widow of John Coltrane, and just the relationship that they had. And just over time, just traveling the world and what he had seen in his experience and why so many people were suffering from depression, suffering from a myriad of issues. And he's like, you know, everybody's walking around here and they're and they're and they're all so full of shit. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> and he, he began to elaborate. And he's talked about in his travels, he would see a hole in the ground and people around the world know how to use the restroom and you would get all the waste out. But here in America, we build toilets and our toilets are so high. And now we have to supplement that by creating something where you have to elevate your knees up higher than your hips. And you even hear something like called a squatty potty. And I think it was the state of, uh, University of Ohio, they did some research, extensive research around the importance and the impact elevating your knees up towards your chest has on your digestive system and being able to get that waste out. And they found an enormous amount of people who found it to be more beneficial to elevate your legs up to get all the waste out. And now you have people in here in America and anywhere where you have really high toilets having so many different problems because we don't even know how to use the restroom right and now we can associate it with you know just so many different diseases and problems just because we don't know how <laughs> to release and we have to understand that waste management is movement movement is waste management if we think about it in terms like metaphorically if you look at it from the visual perspective of a lake a lake that is stagnant, not moving, and you put some stuff on it, it's going to sit there and it's going to remain there. But whereas a river that's flowing, that's strong, you can't put some some trash or some debris in that because it's going to push it out. It's going to continue to keep moving. And that's the power of movement. Movement is waste management. And if these things aren't moving, we're being constipated. It, it, you, it makes you more susceptible to depression. It makes you more susceptible to some of the diseases that we're seeing. Um, an increase in just because we don't know how to do that properly. So I think it's important to remember that a lot of us around here are full of shit and it's affecting us emotionally. So now we have to address our emotional <laughs> um, management because we don't even know how to use the restroom properly. And then in my travels, this was, you know, a conversation long before I started traveling around. As I started traveling around and going to these more rural places where I'm in, in Wudong, China, from in, I'm in Africa, and I'm in Jordan, or I'm in Indonesia. All these places where the ancient practices are still kept, they all had a hole in the ground. And they were all using a restroom like that. And some of the issues that we have here in America, you don't have out there. And just the impact that that has on your system overall 
it's 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 such a disservice that we're not having more conversations about this. So sometimes you don't ask a person how they're doing because they may not know. But if you ask the person, hey, you know, if you <laughs> if he had a good release this morning, that might start a good conversation because sometimes people are not having a good morning because they didn't have a good morning. <laughs> it didn't all come out. So there's they're 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 full and they don't even know. And they're like, why is this way still in me? And that's what I was talking about earlier around the circadian rhythm. Like your rhythm is really important. If you're around a person who has not used the restroom, they're not having a good day, right? <laughs> so what can we do to increase that? What can we do to keep your flow better? And I think those are some of the things that we can we can put into our practice to increase our overall wellness along the way. And then remind ourselves, I think there's a book, um, there's a book called um, Infectious Madness by Harriet Washington. And it's 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 such a powerful book. It's it's really detailing some of the issues that we have is probably from it could potentially be from just getting sick. Sometimes when you get sick, this increases um, more aberrant behavior, more aggressive behavior. And sometimes we're not realizing why a person may be doing what they're doing. And she equated it to like a dog catching rabies. It becomes more aggressive. And we talked earlier about gut health and sometimes we can have a parasite. We can have something in our system and we can have the same kind of behavior like we would see a dog or another animal with rabies acting more aggressive because we got a virus that we don't even know. And it begins to hijack our system. And now we're doing certain things. It's a really powerful book. I would recommend it because there's so many things that are coming up against us. And then she even talked about like seasonal depression. Sometimes you can be born in a season, the more colder seasons, and you're more susceptible to depression. You're more susceptible to schizophrenia or, or some of these other mental disorders based off of the time that you were born. Mm. And that needs to be more of our conversation because some of our people are suffering and we're just looking at them like it's all on you. It's all your fault. No, there's actually some science that supports why the behavior looks like this. So we have to start having more conversations around that open dialogue is going to inform the people and make it more normalized so people feel more comfortable having these conversations. So sometimes we talk about wellness and we're talking about how much you eat, how well you eat, how much you exercise, but we have to look at the whole person. We have to look at the whole environment. We have to look at the whole experience, but also bring in this research and this information that can be benefit us all. Some people have challenges with their kids, ADHD, or they got some issue over here, some issue over there. And it may be associated with what she's bringing into. It could have been a virus that they got. It could have been from pneumonia. It could have been from influenza. And it creates and affects the patterns of a person's thoughts. You know, So it affects the, the mental behavior. So I think those are things that we have to definitely put in the conversation more so we can kind of navigate a little better. Thank you so much for sharing that. <clears throat> and I um, really wanted the, I feel like one of the themes of this conversation is it all, all kind of comes back to self. What you want for yourself, do you value yourself? And having a relationship with yourself to move forward in whatever way that is. Yeah, it has to do with self, I think. Um... Those are <laughs> because you have to do the work and depending on where you are in life, 
we have to also be examples. The True. examples that we set for those who may not have the exposure, the only book that someone may read or only point of reference that they may have is the way that you live. They've been monitoring you. And then they said, you know what? I seen the change in this particular person that they had. And I want to see those changes in my life as well. And you begin to model some of the lifestyles that you have just by living your life. And then someone else sees that. And now they too apply some of those ways of being to their own life and they start seeing the benefits and then they too become that for someone else. So I think it's really important for us to model some of the behavior. It's important for us to model eating. It's important for us to model these conversations. It's important for us to to model how to be in community with each other and how to navigate through conflict. That's one thing that we miss a lot as well. We're not we're not we're not modeling how to disagree. When we disagree, that doesn't mean I have to dislike you. That doesn't mean that we have to be enemies because we have a different ideology, we have a different perspective, we have a different way of being. We have a different uh, way of seeing, a different perspective for a better, lack of a better term. And I think when children see us and we're disagreeing about certain things and it becomes conflict, right now we have a a huge problem around gun violence with our youth. Mm -hmm. We have things that are taking young people's life away that can be prevented. So we need to model different kind of behavior and not always point the finger and put the onus on just the individual when I feel like it's a community effort. So we have to support each other in that regard. But just by living your life in a way that supports those around you, I think you'll you'll be doing that work just by modeling that for others. So it's something that we can't forget as well. It's not just the individual, but it is the individual. But that individual Mm -hmm. can be the model of what others can do as well. Well, Tyrone, thank you for being such a model for so many. Well, we've covered a lot of really important things today. Also a lot to think about. And I have to just be honest, every time I talk to you, I always learn something new. Um, so thank you for that. And again, thank you so much for joining us today. If someone wants to get in touch, is there a way for them to reach you or inquire about some of the services you offer? Uh, yeah, there's uh, there's um, a couple of different ways can contact me tbav.tb at gmail.com you can go to aminique.org org those are a couple of ways to get in contact with me we have a wonderful weekend and stay tuned because we'll have some more information going out once things get moving alright you as well take care I like to end every episode with a positive affirmation or thought. For today, I want to share one of my favorite poems by Nikki Giovanni. It's called Ego Tripping. I was born in the Congo. I walked to the Fertile Crescent and built the Sphinx. I designed a pyramid so tough that a star that only glows every 100 years falls into the center, giving divine, perfect light. I am bad. I sat on this throne, drinking nectar with Allah. I got hot and sent an ice age to Europe to cool my thirst. My oldest daughter is Nefertiti. The tears from my birth pains created the Nile, 
I am a beautiful woman. I gazed on the forest and burned out the Sahara Desert. With a packet of goat's meat and a change of clothes, I crossed it in two hours. I am a gazelle, so swift, so swift you can't catch me. For a birthday present when he was three, I gave my son Hannibal an elephant. He gave me Rome for Mother's Day. My strength flows ever on. My son Noah built a new ark, and I stood proudly at the helm as we sailed on a soft summer day. I turned myself into myself and was Jesus. Men intone my loving name, all praises, all praises. I am the one who would save. I sowed diamonds in my backyard. My bowels deliver uranium. The filings from my fingernails are semi-precious jewels. On a trip north, I caught a cold and blew my nose, giving oil to the Arab world. I am so hip, even my errors are correct. I sailed west to reach east and had to round off the earth as I went. The hair from my head thinned and gold was laid across three continents. I am so perfect, so divine, so erythreal, so surreal, I cannot be comprehended except by my permission. I mean, I can fly like a bird in the sky. Well, that's our show for today. Our next episode will be part two of the Pearls of Wellness Lifestyle Series with special guest Timothy Farad. We're going to go even deeper into healthy living by discussing the benefits of Eastern medicine. Thank you again for tuning in to the Pearls of Wellness, brought to you by the Center for African American Health. I'm your host, Deidre Johnson. Remember, everything can be transformed. So design the life that you want to live.